Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Family Recovery Projects podcast. Join us every week to hear about our mission, why we do what we do, and how we can help your family navigate through the turbulence of getting treatment for a loved one. Stay tuned. Hi there. Happy Sunday. Welcome to this very special edition of the Family Recovery Project podcast. I am Jacqueline Sazzy, and Frank will be joining me shortly. So the reason that this is a special edition is because really this is just going to be Frank and I talking very openly about um, a very interesting discussion we had. I guess it was, gosh, almost a month ago now since we did the suicide and addiction part one podcast and actually Frank is with us. Let me bring him in. Hi, Frank. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I just to kind of let you know, I did hear your introduction and your speaking, so I'll let you continue. Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't remember where I left off, but so Oh, I do remember. So when we, every week after we do this podcast, Frank and I get on the phone and kind of debrief it for about an hour afterward and just talk about how we thought it went. And, um, and, you know, if anything else kind of came up, we, we get a lot of great ideas just from these discussions that we have for future podcasts. And we were talking about, I don't even remember what, what we were talking about, but many of you know, Frank is, um, Frank is many things. A couple of them, a couple of things I would use to describe Frank are passionate and positive and <laughs> um, kind and caring and loving. And, and so we're having this discussion about, um, you know, suicide attempts and, and young people attempting suicide or talking about it. And, and he, he made a comment about um, it being manipulative and, and, you know, young people threatening suicide as a form of manipulation. And, um, and and a couple of the comments that he made just seemed very, um, well, he seemed very passionate and, and, and it seemed very, like there was a lot of emotion behind it. And so I stopped him and I kind of stepped out of, you know, debrief mode and into friend mode and said, you know, just kind of went, okay, the way you're talking about this, is sounding a little bit off to me, you know, and it sounds, it sounds like you're, you're uh, like, there's just a lot of fire behind it. And, and, you know, what's going on? Do you, do you need to talk about it? Is there, do you still have some stuff there, you know, with um, your son's suicide attempt? And, and, and just to give you a little bit of background, my, my feelings about, you know, especially young people, thinking about threatening to or taking action to commit suicide, I have a a soft spot for that being someone who has suffered from PTSD and severe depression. And I have been there. I, you know, when I was much younger, there were many times that I did not want to live anymore. And then I did think about suicide. And at the time for me, it all felt very real um, and it, it felt like at times the only option, you know, even though 
I was very loved and logically I knew that that wasn't really an option. (laughs) There was definitely a part of me that felt like I just couldn't do it anymore. And maybe that was something that I would think about. So I tend to come from a very understanding, compassionate place when it comes to hearing about young people going through that or any people going through that really. I mean, it just breaks my heart that um, anyone would consider it or, or go through with it, you know, because I, because I know how it feels and I know how lonely and scary that place is to be in. So to hear that um, and not necessarily Frank, I mean, he wasn't necessarily saying he felt like he had been manipulated, but just that that's, a perspective that some people have and that, you know, again, I'm not being a parent and not having a child that I would worry about that with that. um, But that there are parents who have definitely felt like it was being used as a manipulation tool threw me off a little bit. So I think both of us, you know, we're kind of coming from our respective experience and, and how we feel about, this issue. And we just kind of had to stop and go, okay, wait a minute. You know, we're, we're obviously looking at this very differently right now. And so it started this great discussion and, and, you know, a lot of times that Frank and I are on the phone and, and one or both of us will get very passionate about something and, and we'll kind of wish we had recorded the phone call (laughs) because we, you know, we, we say things that the other one's like, Oh, that's so great. And I wish, you know, I wish we could have gotten that on record somehow because it, you know, we would love to share some of the things that come up in our conversations with people. And we do our best to do that. But this was one that we definitely felt like, you know, would be something important for because of our mission with the Family Recovery Project. And that a large part of that is to reach out to this, you know, gigantic community of people who can feel very much alone and um, isolated and like no one else knows how they feel about things. That being one of our missions, I think, you know, we definitely wanted to open up this conversation and and make it public. So if there are people out there struggling with either their own feelings of suicide or, um, those of a loved one, they could kind of hear, Frank's experience with it because once once he and and I'll let him I'll I'll stop in just a moment and let him kind of uh, tell you his side of that conversation but because of our relationship he felt very comfortable letting me in on some really personal stuff about that time in his life and you know the things that still for lack of a better word haunt him a little bit today about it um so getting into all of that, we just thought it would be a great opportunity to share that with, you know, our listeners and, and anyone who might be interested in it. So, so all of that being said, Frank, <laughs> if you would like to pick up from there and, and, and talk a little bit about the, the ensuing discussion and, and what, you know, what you shared with me, you have the floor. Okay. Yeah, I think that, you know, you summed it up really well and that we had probably both been talking around this subject uh, for a while, 
mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I mean, any parent that has a child that's using, uh, you know, any kind of drug, I, I think the biggest fear is, you know, and it's, it, it, it sounds almost cliche, but, you know, waiting for that knock on the door, that phone call, you know, in the middle of the night or even during the day that, you know, something really tragic has happened in our lives. Um, this situation that happened with my son just really just, it took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't that I hadn't maybe talked about it or thought about it with respect to him using, um, but, you know, he had just done really well in, a, in an intensive intensive program and came out and everything seemed fine and I was at work um, and I got a call from my wife that he walked downstairs and said I just drank the whole bottle of pills. Uh, The pills being um, a a very powerful uh, prescription or drug for uh, uh, psychotropic med that had been prescribed for him because he'd been diagnosed as uh, bipolar and depressed and uh, various other things. Uh, and so he had this prescription that was going to help him to stay level. And it, it just really was something that I hadn't even considered. I, I, you know, I didn't see, and as we were talking in that conversation later, I didn't really sense any desperation. I didn't sense hopelessness. Um, he wasn't communicating that. And then I, I at the time, wasn't even sure what to look for. Um, the thing that, that I think that I was kind of ranting about during our conversation was after, after the fact and finding out that the uh, psychotropic that he had been given uh, was an off-label prescription, uh, meaning that it was prescribed, uh, it was an FDA, FDA-approved drug, but it was prescribed, but it hadn't been approved for use with anybody under 18 years of age and, in fact, had never had a clinical trial for anybody that was under 21. Um, mm mm-hmm. And so and my perspective, was he, uh, he was uh, 16 and a half or, you know, around that area. He hadn't, hadn't even turned, so he just, just turned 16. Yeah. Um, so he, he was, uh, you know, full three to four to however many years younger, five years younger than any clinic, clinical trial. But that's how they collect data. And, you know, and I think that I, I just had so much going on back then and wanting to feel like I could trust the system to do what was right. I don't think that the psychiatric MD prescribed it with any, you know, bad intention or anything because he probably had success with it in other areas, but we never had a conversation about even the possibility, however remote, that there would be any ideation at all. And I don't know it happened very quickly because he was on meds when he was in, it was a, a dual diagnosis facility that he was in. So he was, he, was, he had a prescription while he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, as we have talked before, I, I don't discount the value of, of, you know, the pharmaceuticals, you know, with diagnosis and assessment, if, if the homework is there and it's been done. I just felt that from my, from my perspective, I, I really felt bad that I didn't know any better than to ask the doctor more questions. Right. Um, if, if if the efficacy was there with respect to clinical trials, and it was going to be something that had already been studied, I didn't I didn't and never would want my son or anybody else's child to go through a process where their kid is going to be a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know you, you really need to know and you need to be able to ask those things, or a professional that's prescribing these powerful drugs 
needs to be honest enough to say, you know, this is going to be an off-label, and I need for the first five days, seven days, whatever it is, these are the questions that you need to ask just to make sure that your child is not being uh, pushed into a, you know, a psychological trauma based on things that are coursing through him, through his body, as opposed to what he was putting in before. Um, because to me at that time, a drug was a drug was a drug, you know, but right. I just thought that they knew what they were doing. Um, you know, long story short, uh, as we started to talk about it, it's re- it's really the one thing that I really feel bad. I mean, I don't really feel that my son, was, he did it to manipulate me. I just think that he did it out of a sense of despair and hopelessness that I didn't recognize and I wasn't even aware of that potential. Um, and so it was real. And so I put the post together that, that we had a very great response on it. Thanks to all of our readers and um, contributors that made comments on the, on our post. But um it just really was so surprising to me that nobody really ever talked about it except for talking about it in generalities. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know what I mean? I mean, because yeah. we're all told that our kid may die, but, you know, not by their own hand in a way. Um, especially having just been through eight weeks of intensive treatment and thinking that everything was going okay. And and again, there's no guarantees or anybody's behavior or choices, but right. I think that's what kind of knocked me off my, you know, it just knocked me way, way off balance. And because of that, it took me a while to trust anybody else with my son. It yeah. really did put me at odds with, uh, and I've said it before, we've talked about it before, when we started working together to help, you know, my son find his way, I was tough to deal with you know, not especially intellectually, because I wanted everybody to prove to me that they knew what they were doing. Um, yeah. And I wanted them to give me assurances as to if they did this, then this would happen. Um, and there isn't any of that that goes on, but I, I just under, I just wanted to have clear communication about what was going to happen next. And it was during those times and those nights when my son was unconscious that when we didn't know if he was going to make it or if he was going to wake up in a vegetative state, that it really gave me a really quiet time to, to, to think about everything that had transpired leading up to that point. And my point when I talk about my experience with my son and his attempt is, is that I hadn't really been working really well to make sure that my family was okay too. Mm-hmm. And that was, I had, you know, obviously a huge regret if my son had made it and, you know, thank God he did. Um, and he's, you know, now doing well, but I wasn't present for my family because I right. was so centered on the addict and what was happening in that arena that um, the circumstances and the way that they turned out, his little sister and my wife, his stepmom, were standing next to the gurney when he went into a coma. And I didn't really realize that I hadn't been working that side of the street inside of my own family. Right. I should not have. I should have. I should have had enough sense, even, even in spite of all the chaos and, and, and the you know the emotional things that were going on at that time. I should have had enough sense to get my daughter out of there, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't. And so, if I had any regrets at all, it was that I really hadn't done the work that I needed to to make sure that I was really working to get everybody involved in a way that was going to be. Uh, a, a positive is the wrong word, but at least have the opportunity to give everybody a chance to not have to, um, 
you know, figure it out on their own without any kind of communication at all. And that's really was kind of the genesis of the family recovery project um, because nobody was talking to me. Um, nobody right. was talking to my family. They were talking around us. You know, we were an extension of my son's, you know, uh, unhealthy thinking. Um, so those nights on the floor in there um, and the angels that were there helping to take care of my son being the, the you know, critical care nurses that would come in there that fed me and made sure that I was drinking water or whatever I needed, um, it, it really kind of brought me back to a position where I thought, you know, there's some things that I really need to kind of help to myself figure out. And, and again, this is all from the perspective of a parent, but as I, as I sat there and watched my son lay there, um, you know, in a coma, there, there wasn't anything that I could do for him, but I just never could get past the idea of having missed the hopelessness and, and, and that desperation. Um, and again, I know, I understand in studying the suicide and, 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 and the mental health t- uh, statistics that there, there are often times that they don't exhibit anything like that because he never had ever, he never really had expressed that this world sucks and I don't want to be here. Right. No, one time. So, and talking to you and hearing your side of the story, um, it just kind of made me really kind of figure out that it really is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what you know, I like think, I said, what, what I loved about our conversation and that I wish, you know, I think is definitely another uh, part of our mission is that we were able to have, I don't want to say opposing, but very different perspectives and viewpoints on this topic. And we were able to discuss them rationally and step in each other's shoes and see the other side and, and, and allow that to even if it's just a little bit to change our perspective and to open up a little bit more to how other people might react to or where other people might be coming from, which I think is slowly becoming a lost art (laughs) in, in our society. You know, we didn't, we didn't just go, well, I just don't agree with you. And I think you're wrong. And that, you know, because it, you know, the, the couple of comments you made, I mean, they definitely, my, my reaction, my emotional reaction to them was, whoa, what is he talking about right now? You know, um, but I was able to stop and say, okay, is it just me or does it seem like this just got a little bit off and can we talk about it and, you know, what's going on? And I was able to ask you some pretty probing questions, <laughs> you know, right, um, right. without either of us. And, and I was able to, to be honest with you, like, you know, I feel like you're saying this and I feel like, you know, you're, how you're expressing these views is really negative and, um, and it's bothering me. And I, and I was able to say all that to you without either of us having to get upset and defensive and angry about it. We, we were able to have a conversation and, and I came away from it a different person, you know, I mean, I really did. And I, and, and I think that that's, that's so much of what we're just trying to achieve with what we're doing here is we've got to have a conversation about 
what's going on with families once they get into the treatment cycle. Right. <laughs> you know, and we've, we've got to be able to have conversations with, you know, government officials who are passing legislation about treatment and drug abuse and drug laws and, and with parents who may or may not understand what's going on and with treatment professionals about their processes and their um, programs, you know, I mean, we, that's really what both of us are working towards is to be able to have these conversations and say, it's not working. What can we do? <laughs> can we just talk about it? You know? Um, right. And, and I, and, think and, that, I, I just think that that really, it was such a great example of that is possible. You know, it is possible to have, conversations about really sensitive subjects and very, very intimate, per, you know, my bouts with, you know, feeling suicidal and your situation with your son is some very intimate personal stuff that we were just able to have a very honest conversation about, you know, so. And, 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 and I, I still feel very protective of my son, as you know, when we were talking about getting a little deeper into my feelings, I, I I actually called my son and said, look, I mean, this is what we're going to be talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And it was amazing. One, he just told me, he goes, Dad, if this is going to help one person, one family, then go for it. You talk about anything because you live through this too. That's um, not my story to own or, or my story to tell. Um, and then secondly, he said, this is something that you'll never have to worry about again. Um, you know, so in having that brief conversation with him and making sure that I wasn't stepping over boundaries, I think you and I would have, would have basically had a conversation, but I still feel like even given the bad choice that he made that day, um, that it, as a family, we still have to have that kind of communication. And I feel very, very strongly and passionate about the fact that for the families that are not having these types of conversations that don't have the ability to be able to, you know, uh, take subjective data that, you know, that, that is basically being, it's out there because the internet is so pervasive with information today mm-hmm. um, that, you know, things kind of get left behind because they're, you know, the, the idea that native advertising is written in a context that makes it look like it's written, you know, by authorities and it's a, uh, you know, it's an MPA, you know, format. It looks real newsworthy when, when actuality it's selling, you know, uh, you know, services. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that that's part of what our mission is, is to create some sense of balance in the way that that's processed. I mean, you know, I didn't really know until this happened to me that, you know, that suicide was a second leading cause of death for, you know, not only my son's age, but even going through college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of people that are out there that have lived through the same thing. Um, and it isn't that the information wasn't there. It's just that you had, you know, I really had to dig for it. Yeah. Cause when I call, when I call up CDC and ask for breakdowns on information with respect to, you know, what they actually do consider to be accidental poisoning as opposed to intentional, um, you know, they really only have to go off of if they leave a note or not. Um, uh, so you know, most of the information that we have about suicide right now has to do with relationships. 
meaning that it has to do with husband and wives or, um, you know, areas along those lines. And then they say, oh, yeah, but there, there is the possibility that drug addiction or drug, drug abuse um, is certainly playing a part in this. Uh, so they're really careful about how the way that they talk about something that is really important for people to get an understanding of going in. It's not the kind of conversation that I have when I meet for, with parents for the first time. I do ask if there's been any ideation. Uh, mm-hmm. Parents would call me and say, well, you know, hey, you know, Johnny's talking about doing something, you know, uh, he's scaring us. Um, you know, my best advice and, and, and only advice that I give him at that time is make the call. You've got mm-hmm. to take them in and have them, you need to, you need to have an eval done. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to be in a position to be able to make that type of clinical decision. You need to make the call. Right. Um, the problem with that is, you know, Jacqueline, is, is that, when they make that call and they get a referral and they go in someplace, a lot of times they can't even get in. And that's, again, when you talk about public policy um, and where are, you know, where the resources are going and where, and where they're, where they're being most effective at, um, it, it, it really is difficult a lot of times for a parent to get their child seen without having to go through the emergency room or what they call the emergency department with respect to data. Um, and then oftentimes they'll put them under observation for a short time. Uh, if there isn't a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist that's on duty at that time, they tell them to go and come back later. You know, And I just think that that's the part that I'm so passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. you know, fortunately, again, like I say, for my journey, it ended, it ended well. Um, My heart goes out to the families where it didn't, Um, but you have to have resources and you have to have help when you need it, not when they feel like they want to provide it. Um, And, you know, that that sense of that idea of that business model working, we're going to have X amount of people here that night and we're not going to have these other ones. Um, I, I, I understand the part of the business of it, but I just think that if we can talk and advocate for families, uh, which is what the Family Recovery Project is all about in terms of having informed decision-making and, and, and informed conversations. I think that that's really the best thing that we can do. Um, I mean, I learned a lot yeah. about myself through my son's actions, um, yeah. you know, throughout, especially the suicide attempt. You know, it's like I say, it was one of those things that until I talked to you and heard you talk about your ideation and not, and feeling so hopeless, it was like I, I really, not to pat myself on the back, but I thought I was doing everything that I could to help my son survive his choices. <laughs> you know, so it was yeah. really hard for me to then sit there and watch him, you know, being woken up uh, constantly by uh, the staff and CCU with crash carts. As, you know, when his respiration rates would get really low, they'd come in and revive him. Um it's it, it, it's nothing that I would wish on anybody, mm-hmm. um, you know. I, I and to think that even after the ten years that we've been together, that you had that kind of process, uh, I, it, it it really kind of drove it home to me that it's not that uncommon. Um, most kids that have thoughts don't actually put a plan together, and they don't really put anything to act out. So I do talk to parents a lot of times to talk about, well, you know, she just keeps mentioning that she's just not, she's not worth it. She should just end it. Um, and it's, it, it isn't, it, it isn't a difficult call for me to make um, because I don't know how many times their, their child has said that to them. 
um, it's the one time that you don't make the call that you're going to regret. Right. You know, and, and that's really all I can tell parents is not try to manage that type of thinking. Uh, and, the, and the other thing that I found, Jacqueline, is that because my son was in treatment basically nonstop for six years, was that when I would even kind of sense that happening, when I would go back to the treatment center and try to talk about that ideation with them, they would just say, that's not what we do here. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have to take him. To, you know, here's a, a list of, of, of good psychiatric people that you could take him to to work that through. And I'm like, well, isn't this part of the other, you know, like what we're doing here? Um, because we were kind of out of the mold then. And yeah. That's, and that's really the first time that I really had conversations about them using that as a threat to manipulate. Um, and then the other parents that would come in, and as I started to build, you know, my inventory of information and in helping families, um, it's not uncommon for parents to feel that way. Um, I was lucky, and then I didn't have it, but I was also unlucky and lucky at the same time that my son decided to, because he hit it really, really well. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've, I've told you this before, we really have never sat down, and I've been able to say, hey, son, well, you know, what was going through your mind that day? Because it scares me to think that I would I would rekindle. I don't. I'm not afraid of him doing anything like that again. But um, you know, when he's ready to talk about it, I figure that's when I'll hear about it, if ever. Um, because I don't really know how to tap dance around that part of it. Um, it's part of his story to tell me. Um, I look at data and I evaluate, and I and I and I, and I obviously I've worked with other parents, but. I don't really know how to put that in perspective for them, uh, except just to tell them my story and what it felt like. And as you know, I, I also show up when parents are having to make, you know, critical decisions about when they're going to turn a machine off. Um, right. So it brings it brings back a lot to me in those moments. Um, but that, that that decision probably has already been made uh, from a clinical yeah. standpoint. Yeah. You know, so. Again, when you were probing me with me that day, it, it brought it, there was a lot of stuff that bubbled up that day, and even right now, I'm kind of chatty and you know, still trying to figure out what the best thing that I can say for for parents and families that are listening right now. Well, I, I think you've said a lot <laughs> that's helpful to parents and families that are listening right now. Um, I know one of the things that you know, I definitely has definitely been true for me and that you have said to me over and over when we've talked about this, um, because I, you know, my initial, um, impression about, you know, especially when we had that conversation, my initial impression when you were, um, you know, when we were talking about it and, and to me, you know, you felt more emotional, um, was that it was something that, because it, it, it's, it's become very, and, and I am like, gosh, I'm working on this, and I'm so sorry to say that it has obviously permeated my consciousness, but there's this weird societal, cultural belief that, like, you're supposed to let things go, you know, and we've talked about this before, and you're supposed right. to move on from them, and, and I guess the point is, like, at some point, they will not affect you anymore, but, um, you know, it, it's been my experience that there are some things where that's just... I don't know that that things will, there are certain things that have happened in my life that I think will always affect me when I talk about them, you know? Sure. Um, And, and, and I, 
have come to realize that be- trying to hold myself to some standard where they don't do that anymore because then that means I've let them go and I've moved past them. And, you know, to, to what end, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the goal of that is. Like it makes you a better person or whatever, you know, the, the crap is that's out there about that. But, um, you know, I have definitely found that to be true for me that, you know, I, I don't live in crippling depression or sadness about certain events in my life anymore but when when there are things that come up that remind me of them or when I talk about those time periods, I can very much relive some of the emotional stuff from, you know, things that happened 10 years ago. And, sure. and, and, and my stuff, I mean, even though it's important to me, is not anywhere near as emotional or traumatic as what you or any parent, you know, going through watching their child be in a coma would would feel and so I think to an extent too my initial reaction was oh he's still he's got some stuff he maybe hasn't dealt with from that experience and you were like no this is I've dealt with it I've moved on but when we talk about this it does bring up emotion for me which was also again that's why I say I came away from that conversation a changed person because it was like oh yeah you know, how, and, and for me, if I really take a look at where that comes from, it's that you being that emotional and, and, and kind of being, you know, outside of the realm of like stable Frank that I'm used to caused discomfort for me. So of course the first place I go to is, oh, well, he must not have dealt with this. (laughs) Not, I'm uncomfortable that Frank is being something other than what I'm used to right now. And that's okay. Um, But, but I, you know, I think one of the things, so, so, you know, all of that, you know, I got the process through, but I think definitely one of the things that you keep reminding me about with this situation is you, you, yes, you move on and you get past it, but you don't ever like get over it. You know, like it will always be something that is, um, deep for you and and I really think that I mean just that I think is good for people to hear you know that you don't have to rake yourself over the coals trying to get over or deal with something this traumatic and that it's okay that you know if 10 years later like you said if you when you go to when you go to hospitals and you and you you smell that smell it will bring back those memories for you. Sure. You know, so something that simple can, can trigger an emotional reaction that is 100% normal and healthy. Because because who would we, who would we be if something that major happening to someone we, we love and care about and, and in your case brought into, you know, brought into your family and, and, you know, some parents cases brought into the world. Um, how could, who would we be if that didn't affect us even 10 years later? <laughs> like that's not someone I want to be <laughs> anyway, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a, a cathartic, me- you know, moment in my life. Obviously I, I obviously went and got help mm-hmm. um, because I was on, I was on an overload. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, for anybody that knows my family, I mean, you know, I, I had just recently lost, you know, his younger brother, my son. Right. And, 
it wasn't like I was prepared to deal with any kind of death anymore in, in, in my family, you know, so it, but this was different. I mean, it was something that he had basically chosen and it, I had to go out and find the help and find other voices that were out there that had, you know, shared that same life experience to get my feet back underneath me. Um, I was still dealing with the fact that he just couldn't control his drug use. I mean, I right. knew that yeah. bad things could happen, um, but I didn't think that it would be a willful decision, you know, uh, and as much as it was a, a, a kind of a, a spontaneous action on his part and not thinking things through, I think that, when, you know, once he did it and realized, oh, no, I mean, I think I've done it this time, um, didn't want to actually die. Um, right. So whatever was going on i mean like i say i you know i had to come to peace with the fact that i may or may not know i may never know but i'm grateful that he's still here my preoccupation now is being able to talk about it in a way that may help somebody else to get through it yeah um and 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 not take a chance um, yeah as i said i mean i, I think that you know it, it was an it was an amazing conversation that we had because even after having been in, involved with each other's lives over that time you know you 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 you're so strong to me that i never thought that you would have had that type of ideation because right. you just were you were solid and so that one day i think was kind of like wow you know it was kind of like both of us were like opening our minds up a little bit that day and sharing some things that, like, that again that we weren't, weren't intentionally hiding right um, yeah it was just that it had it, in our in our world it hadn't come up yet and I find myself being pushed because as I work with parents, I never know what they're going to say next. Right. Um, it just kind of depends on what's happening. And you've been in that frontline position too, where you you deal with that impulsive nature of a child being good for half an hour. And then the next half hour is complete oblivion um, and trying to get them back and, and get them back into the group and get them into thinking about what they're thinking and saying Mm-hmm. Um, I feel the same way every day. Um, yeah, it's it's about it's about having that kind of that focus and that passion to be able to make a difference. Um, and and like I say, I mean, I I wasn't really calling my son today to ask permission about whether I could talk about the suicide attempt. It was more to kind of like allow him to feel comfortable that um, it was something that I felt really needs to be shared and needs to be talked about more. This is a this is a beginning of a conversation. It's not going to be the end of it. Right. Um, you know, I would hope that, that parents and family members that are out there understand how important it is. And that's why we shared the information uh, last week in the post was, you, you know, you really have to make the call. And that, that's really the only thing you need to figure out is that if you do get this type of feeling or, you know, that feeling that your child is going to do harm to themselves or somebody else, you really, you, you just, you can't wait. Um, yeah. Because in, in spite of everything that I thought I knew, um, in a matter of five minutes, I knew nothing. Yeah. I knew absolutely nothing. And I, and I think that it's that type of vulnerability that we need to bring. And, um, you know, one, one of the things that I think that we, we need to, uh, uh, you know, kind of continue to um, bring to the forefront for people that are following us and want to become involved is that we can make a difference. You know, uh, we just yep. have to make we sure that we, that we keep our doors open and our minds open. Um, there, you know, there's 14,500 treatment centers out there, and I, I, I say this all the time. You know, you, you really have to know what you're buying. 
But if nobody's helping to inform us about what to look for or know what we're looking for, you get caught up in a system that is doing the best that it can, but it's limping along. Um, you know, recovery rates haven't changed in the last 25 years. Um, but yet we continue to hear headlines or see headlines and, and see news stories about, you know, an epidemic of this drug or that drug or whatever, but they never talk about what they're doing about it. All they do is talk about it in terms of getting a viewer or getting a reader so that you can get an ad click or you can get an extra viewer to sell your advertising for more money. You know, our purpose and mission from the very beginning when we first started talking a few years back was to, you know, give people an opportunity to hear authentic information that doesn't have any agenda except to help, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and help them make informed decisions and give them resources to be able to, to fall back on. Um, and, and, I, and I think that one of the things that's so personal to me when I do talk about my experience with my son's attempt um, is normally when I first meet a family and start working with them, I tell them my story really doesn't mean anything to you today. Right. But it will tomorrow, and it will mean more in a week, in a month, because this is not going to this is not going to go away overnight. Um, you know, some kids are just casual users, as you know, they're recreational, and they're just like, oh, I got to stop this. Mom and dad are mad. Uh, I'm going to lose my iPhone here. And right. They're okay with it. They move on. Um, my personal experience and your experience as a professional and uh, a clinician, you know, when you were in that arena was that we're part of that 8% that can't. Yeah. And it's those 9 million families that are have somebody 25 and under right now that, that are in that can't position that we're reaching out to. But we also want the other 92% to understand what's going on because we also know that many, many of them are affected by, uh, you know, directly or indirectly by what's happening in our lives. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, it's important. It's important to continue to talk about things. And I, and I, I will always implore you to please dig, you know, when you need to, or you feel a need to, um, because really there's really nothing that's off, off limits with respect to where I've been and what I've done on this journey. Um, mm-hmm. There can't be. Right. And I, I, you know, we're not choosing to indict anybody, a system or anything else. It's just about what can we do to make this better? Right. Um, you know, what can we do to help? Yep. Well, and I, you know, and, and you and I both share this belief, but I, I feel very, very strongly that what's going to change the way that things are, the status quo right now is family, you know, is, is families banding together and working together and building a community that asks questions and demands something better. I mean, right. I, that's ultimately, I think, what's going to change this. So, so we're getting, we're under two minutes uh, left on our podcast. <laughs> that went by really quickly. Um, very, very quickly. It, you know, on that note, we definitely, you know, what we are trying to do is bring families together and offer resources and um, kind of safe haven and, and a place to come and ask questions and, and not feel so alone. And we ask that those of you who are with us today and who've been following us for a while, that if you, you know, if you meet someone or if you just feel 
called to share, you know, our Facebook page or our, our website or our information with someone, um, we would love that. We would love to get notice. We would love for more people to know about what we're doing. And, um, and you know, like with our podcast, if you subscribe to it on iTunes, if you could leave us a review, that would help us get bumped up and uh, more people to find our podcast if they're looking for help. So that's that's really where we are now is um, shamelessly asking for you know your help and spreading the word and and starting the process of of pulling families together. We know it's going to happen and. Um, you know, we feel really strongly about it and, and getting all of our ducks in a row so we can offer the best information and help and resources that we have, um, you know, just for, for anybody, for families and professionals and anyone who might be seeking and, and wanting to ask more questions and, and understand more. And I think that was definitely a big part of what, you know, what you said today about your situation with your son is that you, you know, you wish you'd, you'd ask more questions and had more resources. So that's why we're here and that's what we want to provide. So um, Frank, any other, any closing comments? No, nothing to add. I summed up well. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to next week's show. We'll let people know what our topic will be. Yes. And in the meantime, you can find us at www.thefamilyrecoveryproject.com. You can email either of us at frank at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com or Jacqueline at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com. <laughs> it's kind of a mouthful. Um, or, you know, find us on Facebook and leave us a message and we will be in touch. And thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. And thank you, Frank. That was great. It was, Jackie. Thanks for sharing today. Okay, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.